Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 2, I would like to welcome everybody back to our Sunday morning worship services, the Lord's Day, and those who are with us at streaming, we want to welcome them as well. And so take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 22. We're going to just continue our uh, sermon series regarding the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the definition of love last week, and today we're going to talk about the direction of love. Last week, the definition of love. Today, the direction of love. And our text will be Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Our text says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus is replying to the Pharisee. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law, and all of the other commandments depend or they hang on these two commandments. This is the Word of the Lord, and I pray that He'll bless the reading of His Word. The Bible teaches us that all of us will have an ultimate love, now just think about that, ultimate love, that will prioritize everything else in our life. We will love something, we will worship something, we will admire something so great, so greatly, that it will prioritize and have an effect on everything else in our life. We will have a Lord. It may be Jesus, it may not be Jesus, but we will have a Lord that we will bow our knee to. And let me just kind of illustrate it like this. A person can love their family, but they can love material things to the point where materialism um, influences everything that they do with their family. Does that make sense this morning? I mean, you can love your family, but if your first love, if your ultimate love is materialism, then materialism will influence your love for your family. Not only that, but a person can have a commitment to God. A person can have a commitment to God, but if your first love are your children, then your love for your children will govern your love for God. Now that sounds kind of counterintuitive, and and it almost kind of rubs up against us, but it's true. Whatever our ultimate love is, it will govern everything else in our life, even our worship and even our devotion to the Lord God. And the Bible teaches us this right off the bat in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. The first commandment in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, what does it say? You shall have no other God before me. Or you shall have no other gods, no other idols, no other ultimate love or first love before me. You come down to the Gospels, to the Beatitudes, to that part of the Beatitudes that we really don't like to hear. Uh, I mean, it starts around verse 20, 21 of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your what will be. Come on, church. There your what will be. Your heart will be. So wherever, whatever you treasure, whatever is your first love, whatever is your ultimate love, there your heart will be. If you want to find out what you value, if you want to find out what you treasure the most out of everything in life, just follow your heart. 
your, fo- your heart will, follow, will, te- will take you to your first and ultimate love. And then you go on down three verses in uh, Matthew 6, 24. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. And he's right about that. Um, that's not just a philosophical statement. That's a truism. You cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will despise one and you will love or you will follow the other. And then he says something very, very provocative. He said, you cannot worship God in mammon or you cannot worship God in money. And why in the world would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows, He knows the heart of man, and He knows that pretty much all of us struggle with materialism and the lust for money. And Jesus is saying that if money is your first love, now don't lose me here, if money is your first love, it will control your love for God. I've experienced that in my life, and maybe you have too. And it may not be money, it may be something else that's your first love, but it will control your devotion to God. Um, I believe it's Henry Scugin that said this, uh, Scottish theologian. He said, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. Boy, that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. The measure and the excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. And that is why Jesus Christ responded to the Pharisees and the Sadducees when He said, this is the greatest commandment, and this is why this is the greatest commandment. Now before we get into this and apply it to our hearts, let me just give you some quick background. Before Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. And not only has He entered into Jerusalem, but He has cleansed the temple. And what is happening here is Jesus is pivoting toward the cross. His head and His eyes are now directed upon the cross. He is heading toward His crucifixion. And simultaneously with that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are testing and questioning His authority. And one way they do that to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 is they ask Him trick theological questions. Um, The first one, in verse 15, the the Pharisees, almost said the Philistines, but anyway, the Pharisees step up to the plate first, and, 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 and and they throw out this question. They say, Jesus, you know, what about taxes? To whom do taxes really belong? And then the second question in verse 23 is they ask him a very odd question about the resurrection and about marriage, you know, in heaven. And so the first two questions are almost silly. To me, they are. They're almost silly, just kind of spitball questions. But the third question is very, very serious. Because what the third question does, it acts like a scalpel. And it opens up our heart and exposes our heart's true passion. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now this would have been an honest question. The the Pharisees and Sadducees ask questions like this all the time. You have that in your sermon notes. Um, It's just maybe an honest question, curious question, but if Matthew had not included that one little phrase and they asked it, the lawyer asked it to what? To test Jesus. It would have been innocent. And so why did they want to test Jesus? They wanted to test Jesus to trap Jesus. They wanted to entrap Him to question His authority and bring His ministry to an end. But what Jesus does is He delivers a response that goes right to the heart 
of our life. Not just the Pharisees and Sadducees, but right to the heart of our life. And let's look how Jesus responds. In verse number 37, And Jesus said to the lawyer, the Pharisee that asked the question, He said to him, This is the greatest commandment. Now everybody listen to this. Read it, but listen. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And what Jesus is doing is He's reaching back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 to the Shema Creed. To the hear, O Israel. Shema means to hear. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the Shema Creed is simply, it's simply this. And, and hear, O Israel. And whenever the Bible says, hear, O Israel, that's important. It's important to listen. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall worship the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And so what Jesus is communicating to the Pharisees is He's communicating to them that you have one object of love that, that basically controls all the other objects and affections in our life. And that one object should be the Lord God. He should be our first love. And not only does He show the Pharisees what should be the object of our love, but then He shows them how we should love the Lord our God. Look at the qualification there. Love the Lord your God. If you stop there, but listen to what He says. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Because Jesus knew that if He did not provide that qualification, that we would pick and choose how we would love God. I mean, man, He knew we're sinners. And so he says, love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind. If you go back to the Septuagint, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, that is translated heart, soul, mind, and understanding, or might. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that we are to love God with all of our being, with all of our person, with all of our life. Nothing is to be left out of our love toward God. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Because sometimes it gets, it, you got to get back in, in the routine of being in church with each other. Amen? All right. All right. L with, with all of your person. And then, I don't think they're respecting this. And then Jesus, I mean, just uses some theological jujitsu. And man, he just pivots and he hits them with another qualification. Not only that, guys, but the second is like it. Look at it. Look at your text. Look at your Bible. He says, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself or as you want to be loved. And so what Jesus is saying here is our love for God um, includes love for our neighbor. And the effects of striving to love God with all of our being, with all of our life, will manifest itself in loving our neighbor. And then to add some force to it, he goes to verse number 40. Look at verse number 40. I mean, do y'all realize how much energy and how much power is packed into these three verses? It's, it's unbelievable. And then Jesus said something. He says, on these two commandments depend or hangs the law and the prophets. And notice these two commandments. And what Jesus is saying when He says these two commandments, you can't separate them. If you love God, if you strive to love God, you're going to strive to love your neighbor. And if you truly agape owe your neighbor, then that's probably a sign, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, that you are loving God. 
And not only that, but these two commandments, loving God and loving our neighbor, is a synopsis um, of the Ten Commandments. Think about it. Y'all have heard this. This isn't new. The Ten Commandments can be divided divided into two sections. Loving God, commandment one, two, three, four. Loving your neighbor, the rest of the commandments. That's what Jesus is referring to. And Jesus is basically telling the Pharisees and telling us today that Scripture cannot cohere or truly be obeyed unless we love God and unless we love others. And so I want to conclude this morning by just taking the Pharisees and the Sadducees out of it. And let's just kind of open up our hearts. Let's let the Holy Spirit do surgery on our hearts this morning and let's apply this to our lives. First of all, the object. We've already talked about this. The object or the object that should be, you know, should receive our ultimate love is God through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because number one, God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, it teaches us that God is love. The only way we even know about love is because God has graced us with that knowledge. And so God is love. And not only that, but God has displayed, He's manifested His love toward us through Jesus Christ, through the cross and through the resurrection. And not only that, but in 1 John chapter 4, it's amazing that John says, listen, we love God because He first loved us. I mean, man, listen, we weren't sitting around one day, I mean, and, and, and then we'd, I'll, I'll, I'll love God today. No, folks, listen, we love God because He first loved us. And if God is love, and if He has displayed His love through His Son, Jesus Christ, and if He loved us, so in turn we could love Him, and the only way we can love Him is if He loved us, folks, that is a reason to give God all of our love and to make Him our first love. But let me just give you something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed. The relationship, I want everybody listen to this, the relationship that we have with God is not predicated upon a to-do list. The relationship that we have with God is not founded uh, upon some type of, um, some type of, of sterile obedience and discipline. Our love for God is not predicated upon some type of passionate sacrifice. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 13 say? The Apostle Paul says, even if we give our bodies to be burned and to be sacrificed, if we do not have love, it's meaningless. And so our relationship with God is based, it's predicated, it's founded upon love. Are you with me, church? And let me repeat again, It's not through some cold, sterile discipline or radical sacrifice. It's through love. And this was the intention of the Shema Creed. The Shema Creed is there in Scripture to remind the Hebrews, listen, our relationship with God, the Lord God, Yahweh, is is, is predicated upon love. That's what Jesus was teaching us. And that's what Paul points out in his epistles. And so let me ask you something this morning. Is God your first love? Now, we can slip in and out of that. I understand, but praise God, if we repent, He forgives us. Amen? But honestly, is God your first love? We can sing all the praise choruses we want to. We can shout and say amen to sermons, and we can listen to all the sermons that are on YouTube. There's a lot of sermons on YouTube now, right? 
But the question is, is God, through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, your first love? And is He the love that you are seeking? What is the object of your love? Then we go to the comprehensiveness of the love that we should have toward God. Um, the comprehensiveness is basically you worship God with your heart and soul and mind, or strength or might or understanding. And a lot of people try to compartmentalize those things. You know, what does soul mean? What does mind mean? What does heart mean? Again, let me just tell you, Jesus' intent wasn't for us to kind of compartmentalize those things. Jesus' intent was for us to take them as a whole. We, as disciples of Christ, are to love Jesus Christ through material, the material things that we have, We are to love Jesus Christ through the relationships that we have. And we are to worship Him and love Him through even our emotions. Let me give you some examples. I had a a guy many years ago uh, come see me, and um, and he said, I just need some spiritual advice. I said, okay, shoot, let's go. Let's go for it. He said, I'm thinking about buying a second house on a lake and I want you to tell me if that's God's will for my life. <laughs> and I told him, I said, now, if you were buying me a house <laughs> on a lake, then I would tell you what you should do with a one-word answer, and that would be amen. But that wasn't his question. And so I said, man, I, I got two things for you. Um, I said, number one, will it glorify God? And I, and I told him, I said, now we can't just go out and buy stuff and just use the excuse, oh, I'm going to glorify God through this. You know, man, there are, I've got a wish list on Amazon that's a mile long, man. And, you know, and, and I could buy all the, everything on that wish list, John. And then I could, Jill be got, whatever are you doing? Honey, I'm glorifying God. Uh, that, that didn't wash. And then I asked him, how are you loving God through this? How can you love God through this? And I wasn't picking on him because that could be applied to a lot of things. How am I glorifying God? And how am I loving God through this decision? And if we really love God that way, boy, that would just constrain us from just slipping into destruction and just bad choices. Will it not? And then we should love God through relationships. You know, I don't know about y'all, but, but the Rayburn family, um, we have seasons of fights and fusses in World War III's. D- do you all? Do you all? And I know some of y'all are looking at me like, our pastor, his family fights and fusses? Yes, we do. And just a couple weeks ago, more than that, several weeks ago, one of my kids just started acting like I didn't want them to act. And they copped an attitude. And I thought, well, this attitude is going, is going to end in a couple of days. It didn't. 
I mean, my child, and I'm trying not to use pronouns so you'll know who it is. You know, my child dug their heel in, their heels in, and man, they just they, they just kept up the attitude. Pop, 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 pop. Everything. Attitude, 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 attitude. And, 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 and you know what I want to do? I want to sell my kid. I, want, I just want to sell him. I mean, I just want to take him to Mount Moriah and, and, and go through the process. I mean, I, I want to do something. And, 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 you know, and, and honestly, and I know I'm, be, I'm being funny, I'm being serious, but honestly, you know what I want to do? I wanted to provoke them. I wanted to grind them. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, man, I, I just wanted to lay the screws to them. Because I'm the dad. And not only am I the dad, I'm the pastor. I'm an ordained Southern Baptist pastor. That doesn't mean nothing to them and whatever. And then I was coming to church one morning, and I was just praying in my spirit. And I was praying in my direction. Lord, I want you to change my child to fit the way I want them. And then I thought about God's love for Jacob. For some reason, Stephen, it just, Jacob popped in my mind. And you know what God did to Jacob? He pursued him. And what I want to do, I just want to make my point, grind it, put it in their face, and separate myself from them until they started behaving the way I wanted them to behave. And it just doesn't work that way, parents. It doesn't work that way. And God pursued Jacob, and He pursued him, and He pursued him, and He pursued him, and He pursued him. He didn't excuse Jacob's sin. He didn't tell Jacob what he wanted to hear just to pacify him. It wasn't just a behavioral modification thing. God pursued him with a steadfast love. And you know what? Whenever I started pursuing my child with that steadfast love, things didn't get perfect overnight. But the relationship started changing. And I really believe that when I started loving God by not provoking my child and pursuing them, I believe I changed. And when I changed, I think my child noticed that I changed. A lot of times parents, we parent out of frustration. And we confuse it with righteousness. But a lot of times the way we parent isn't loving God. Permissiveness is not loving God. The way we relate to our spouse many times is not loving God. The way we look at material things and, and say, it's not it's not loving God. And I'm getting to my last point, but I, I just want to say this. And we need to worship and love God through our emotions. And boy, this I don't really have a problem with material things. I mean, there are some things that I would like. Um, and most of them are related to traveling. 
but I don't necessarily have a problem with material things. At this point in my life, I don't think I have a really a, a deep issue with anybody in my family. But where I struggle and I have to really be discipled is loving God through my emotions. Quickness to be ang- anger, angry. Holding on to bitterness. Jealousy. Grudges. 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 You know, those little things that, don't, that make you not want to be around certain people? We are to love God even through those things. Are you, this is hard to hear, right? Especially on our first day back. And then we look at the compliment, and I close. The compliment is when you love God, if He is your first love, then you are to love your neighbor. You can't separate the two. But here's the catch, and before I I go to Luke chapter 10 and close, let me ask you a question real quick, okay? Who is your neighbor? You say, well, it's the person that lives right beside me. No, 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 I'm not talking about who is your neighbor? Is your neighbor only people who look like you? Now, for some people, that's a struggle. Um, Is your neighbor people that only agree with you? Is your neighbor people that aspire to be like you, or you aspire to be like them? Who's your neighbor? And to really understand that question, and to really understand the full text of Matthew 22, you have to go to the parallel text in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I'm not going to read it, but it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And let me set it up for you, and then let me apply it, and then we'll close. And we're going to pray for our nation. There is a young Jewish man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, he is robbed and he's beaten, and he's basically thrown to a ditch. Right? Y'all remember that? Flannel graph? Remember? Flannel graph, the guy goes into the ditch. Remember that? And then, and then you have three people that come by him or walk by him. The first person that comes by, according to the Scripture, is a priest. And that is an officer of the temple, a good Jewish leader. And so this good Jewish leader is walking down the same road. He sees this guy half dead in a ditch. And because of his ritual, because of his ceremony, because of his rules and his checklist, you know what he does? He does the avoidance shuffle. He gets away from that guy because the guy is either dead or he's half dead and I'm not going near him. So a Jew is rejecting another Jew. The man's half dead. Second guy, a Levite, who is an assistant to the priest, he comes walking down the road and he does the avoidance shuffle. 
Because the guy is either dead or he's half dead. And according to my rules and regulation, I don't touch unclean things. And so here is another Jewish leader avoiding a Jewish man who's been beaten, been robbed, been thrown into a ditch, and they're both avoiding him. And then comes along a Samaritan, a half-breed. The Jews considered them dogs. They were almost enemies of the Jews, the Samaritans were. And what does this Samaritan do? He doesn't do the avoidance shuffle. But what does he do? He goes right toward that Jewish man in the ditch, and what does he do? Basically, he ministers to him with first aid, gives him a place to stay. And what Jesus does is, is he turns to the lawyer. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer turned to Jesus. He said, who is my neighbor? Jesus gave him that story. Jesus turned back to the lawyer, and, 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 and he said, which one's your neighbor? Which one is the true neighbor? Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? And the lawyer was forced to answer, no, it was the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan. The marginalized, the despised, the unclean, the person beyond the borders, that was his neighbor. His true neighbor. Now there's two things we need to get from this. Number one is that the, the parable of the Samaritan is teaching us that outsiders were coming into the kingdom of God by faith. That would be the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that the gospel went to the Gentiles? And so the outsiders are coming into the kingdom of God by faith. And the second thing that parable teaches us is that, now don't miss this, is that the love and the grace of God was redrawing the borders of who is a neighbor. If you ask a Jewish person, their neighbor would be priest, Levite, and the people. Who are the people? It is the Jews. But by the grace and by the love and through the grace and through the love of God, God through Jesus Christ is redrawing the boundaries of who is a neighbor. So who is your neighbor this morning? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Everybody listen. It's your enemy. It's your enemy. Oh, but now wait a minute, Pastor. You, no, it's your. I, I like to do that. I like to, you know, question God and qualify it. You know, put a little fine print down here. No, 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 no. Your your neighbor is your enemy. Your neighbor is someone who has a different ethnicity than you. And boy, does our society need that this morning. Your neighbor is your boss. Your neighbor is your employee. Your neighbor is your child or your children. Your neighbor is your spouse. See, a lot of times we think that we should love our spouse in a kind of a different way than we should, you know, love. No, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, 
Your, your spouse is your neighbor, and you will seek and strive to love your spouse the way God intends you to love them. Remember what you said, for better, for worse. Amen? And so, in order to love God, and a result, an effect of loving God, we must love our neighbor. And what Jesus is telling us this morning is to go in love. Is to go in love. What is wrong with giving the love of God a a chance in your relationship? And one of the reasons why we're seeing what we are seeing in our society is because the love of God is not a first priority and because the love of God is not a first priority, loving our neighbor is not a priority. And I really think that we need to pray for our nation. I don't know all the details um, about the man who, uh, who died because of the arrest, but boy, when you look at the video, that was an injustice. It was wrong. It was sin. And what people are doing, destroying neighborhoods, destroying businesses, destroying communities, attacking authorities and policemen or whatever who are trying to do the best at their job, that's sin. And it's wrong. I probably should just shut up and end. But I got 12 minutes. Folks, this is the problem with our nation. The only way we can truly strive to love our neighbor is if we love God. And the way we need to love our neighbor comes from God. And we will keep beating our head up against the racism wall, the exclusiveness wall, the elitism wall. We will keep beating our head up against that until we look really and give our lives to what Jesus said. And you shall, you disciples shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and before you click, click away, before you click off, remember the second, you will love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Everybody. You will love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't mean you excuse sin. It doesn't mean you tell people what they want to hear. It doesn't mean you become naive. It doesn't mean you can't speak truth into someone's life. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means we strive to love. We strive to forgive. We strive to be like Jesus. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, all God's people said, let's just have a time of prayer as Pastor Clay and the praise team comes. I want us to pray 
just for our nation as a whole right now at this very moment. Just start praying. Pray for our nation as a whole. Let's ask the Lord in the name of Jesus for His glory that He would just bring peace to our nation and just quiet the unrest. Now I'm not saying to just sweep injustice under the rug. No, 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 no. We must strive for justice and, and righteousness. And let's pray that as Christians and disciples of Christ, that we will seek first the kingdom of God, and by seeking first the kingdom, that our first love will be the Lord God. It won't be tribalism. It won't be loving whoever is in our ethnic parameters, but that we will seek to love God and that in doing so, He will teach us to love each other and to love our neighbor. I don't want to be political and provocative this morning, but let's pray for our president. And let's pray that our president will be righteous in his response. I believe our president says a lot of correct things, but he says them in a very incorrect way. And let's pray that the Lord will use him as an instrument of peace. Let's pray for the police and sheriff's departments. Let's pray for their protection. Let's pray for the, the authorities in our own church. Think of Steve Ray and Nate Brooks and Matt Waters and if I'm leaving out somebody, I apologize. It's inadvertent, but let's pray for them that the Lord would continue to allow them and give them strength to act righteously and to protect them and protect their families. And let's pray that the Lord will just eradicate, dispel the COVID-19 virus. Let's pray for the protection of our church, the protection of our society, our Let's just pray that the Lord would just dispel this virus. But at the same time, we need to learn from God. We need to ask, Lord, what are you teaching us? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we will love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our might, and our understanding. And Father God, in doing so, I pray that You will teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, we pray for our nation. Our nation desperately, desperately needs You. And every headline that comes up is proof, once again, that we need You. 
Father, I pray that you'll be glorified, honored and exalted by what is said and sung here today. And thank you, Father, for allowing us to come back together today. It is truly a grace and a blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwardsboro Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.